This podcast is from Online Worship on Sunday the 14th of February. Well, hello everyone. I want to welcome you to our online service today and a warm welcome to everyone watching and those listening by telephone as well. I can see a few names uh, popping up on the screen on Facebook. Uh, so hello to Carolyn and Alexis and Patricia and Katie, Catherine watching in from sunny London and Jean McKenzie and Ellen in Virginia. So a warm welcome to everyone uh, watching and listening uh, today. Uh, a couple of wee things just wanted to share before we get started. Um, for those that have been following the past few weeks, you'll already be aware of this, that <clears throat> between now and Easter I'm running a, an online course exploring the Christian faith. And this is something that you can access in your own time. It's a series of videos with some sort of questions just to kind of get you thinking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And the, the videos are only about 10-15 minutes long, as so you can pick this up at any point or any time. Uh, but I'm releasing the videos to follow the topics that I'm preaching on uh, over uh, this coming month. And so if you've already been following that course, uh, there's new material is available from uh, today. And uh, if, if you would like to start that or have a look at it or check it out, there's a link in the description uh, underneath this post on Facebook. And I'll also post it on YouTube as well for anyone that's interested. Um, what else do we have? Um, many of you will know of the Reverend Fraser Donaldson, who has been pastor of Green at Elam Church for, I think, well over 15 years uh, now, or is an assistant pastor and then is a senior pastor. And you may be aware that Fraser is moving on uh, to Glasgow Elam Church, and this is his final Sunday. So as uh, neighbours and as a fellow colleague of Fraser, uh, who's been a great support to me, uh, since coming to Greenock, uh, I just wanted to wish him and his wife Susan and family all the best as they move up to, to Glasgow Elam and I'm sure he will do uh, very well there indeed. And uh, many of you will be aware of the way that Fraser has impacted Inverclyde in different ways in getting Inverclyde Food banks started up and uh, pulling churches together through Inverclyde Christian Initiative. Uh, he, he will be a great miss to the town and uh, I'm sure uh, Glasgow will be greatly blessed by his ministry. Uh, one last wee, wee piece of news. We had some sad news uh, earlier this week. One of our members at Mount Kirk sadly passed away, Mrs Anne Clark, who will be known to, to many folks within the congregation, had sadly passed away suddenly uh, just this week. Um, I don't have any more details to, to give you. A funeral will definitely not be this coming week. It's more likely to be the middle of the following week. But I'll be able to let you know uh, next Sunday. But if you please keep Anne's family uh, in your prayers, I know she'll be greatly missed at Mount Cook. So we're going to begin a time of worship together, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. Uh, I know it's, it's difficult to try and concentrate, especially when you're watching on a phone and things are pinging and popping up on, on your screen. But this is just a time to set aside during the week, to spend time in God's presence, to bring our worship, to focus on him eh, on this Lord's day. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon our time of worship. We thank you for all those gathered together in Jesus' name who are watching, who are listening. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon us all, that you would speak to us through the scriptures, 
that we would lift up your name in praise in our singing, that we would bring our prayers to you and our needs, and that we would hear from heaven, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon your people. Even though we are scattered, but we are brought together by your Spirit. Fill our hearts with joy and peace. And even in the current struggles and frustrations of lockdown and not being able to see family and friends and gather in one place as a church, Lord, we pray that we would experience your presence with us today and also share in that fellowship that binds us together in Jesus, your Son. Lord, for those who are struggling, for those who are weary, Lord, give them encouragement today. Lift them up, support them and strengthen them. Give them your peace. And as we can see the, the horizon before us of hope in the news as more and more people get the vaccine for COVID-19, we are hopeful in the near future that we will be able to meet in worship again. And so, Lord, we hold on to that hope, but above all things, the hope that is in Jesus, your Son, who we worship with the Father and with the Spirit today. And so let's join together in the prayer that Jesus taught his first disciples, the family prayer of the church, as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. But just in case I forget to say uh, later on in the service, um, we do have a, a Zoom meeting afterwards, so if anybody wants to go and grab a coffee, it's usually about five minutes after the end of the service, and again, there's a link in Facebook and I'll put it in YouTube as well. If anyone wants to, to join us for a coffee and a chat after the service, uh, you're more than welcome uh, to do so. We're just going to spend a few uh, minutes in worship. I have a couple of hymns for us to sing together. Feel free to join in at home. And the first one is, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and then here is love, vast as the ocean. Our theme today is looking at the cross, and both of these hymns really speak about God's love poured out for us uh, as Jesus went to the cross for us, as he, he took away our sin uh, in his death on the cross. So please join in, in the worship as you can. The words are on the screen. And uh, this first one comes from Steph McLeod in Celtic Worship, which we are thankful that have allowed us to use their music today. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous 
Okay, I have a fairly short reading uh, for you today, and this is a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading from verse 31, and this is Jesus teaching uh, his own disciples, and uh, if you want, if you have a Bible at home, feel free to follow uh, along, uh, or you can just read along uh, with me. So verse 31, uh, and this is referring to Jesus, he then began to teach them, that is the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, we pray that you would speak powerfully into our lives 
speak powerfully into our hearts, reveal Jesus to us, the reason why Jesus came, why he died on the cross, and of his great love for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, our subject today is looking at the cross of Jesus. And a big question, why did Jesus die? And this is probably the biggest question that we can ask about Jesus. Because this question gets right at the heart of the whole gospel. Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth, uh, the purpose of Jesus' teaching, the purpose of Jesus' life, all that his life pointed towards, and so much of the Old Testament and the story of God's people points to this event in history, the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so if we want to understand who Jesus is and what it means for us to follow him, to be one of his disciples, we need to understand this question. Why did Jesus die? One of the first things we see in the Gospel of Mark is that several times Jesus predicts his death. Jesus is not some sort of hapless pawn in this story. It's not something that just happens to him by chance. Jesus is very much aware of what is going to happen to him. He's very much aware that he's going to die and the way in which he's going to die. And he understands what his mission is, that somehow his death on the cross is key to his mission on earth. And Jesus clearly understands this. And he mentions this to his disciples three times in the Gospel of Mark. Three times he tells them that he's going to suffer and die and rise again. So he told them that not only would he die, but he would come alive again after three days. And in the short reading that we had at the beginning, Mark 8.31, it tells us that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man was the title that Jesus used to describe himself. And in some parts of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Daniel, it's used to describe this character called the, the Messiah, God's chosen king, the one who's coming to rescue his people. And Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man. So he says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, that is the elders of Israel, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So what Jesus is saying here that he will be rejected by every tier of leadership in the nation and religious life of Israel. He will be rejected as Messiah by them. And by and large that is what happened when we read the gospel accounts here in Mark and in the other gospels when Jesus is arrested it's because primarily the yes Judas Iscariot has handed him over but he's handed him over to the Jewish leaders to put him on trial. But because they weren't allowed to execute somebody for blasphemy at that time because they were under Roman rule, they had to appeal to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate to do it on their behalf. 
And so they had to find a way that Jesus would be found guilty of insurrection against the Roman Empire and not just on a, a blasphemy law, which the Romans were not really that interested in, eh, at least in this case. And so he was rejected by and large by the leadership of Israel and tells them that he would be killed and after three days rise again. So we can see here clearly that Jesus is fully aware of what is happening to him. He's fully aware of what is going to happen in the future. And when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is arrested, he prays to his father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In other words, the suffering that he was going to face. But not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus is very aware that he is going to suffer, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be crucified. But he also knows that he's going to rise again eh, as well. And it's important that we understand this, that Jesus is not passive in this whole story. This is somehow part of God's bigger plan. And that is something that we see very clearly in the scriptures. That the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is part of God's plan of salvation for this world. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by chance. That this was the way that God had ordained by which God would save his people. It's an amazing passage in the book of Isaiah, which is written about seven, eight hundred years before the birth of Christ. And there the prophet Isaiah is looking ahead in time to the coming of the Christ, to the coming of the Messiah. And there he describes how he will suffer and why he will suffer for his people and what the purpose of that would be. It's an incredible passage if you ever uh, get the chance to read it. I strongly encourage you to do so. Isaiah 52 and 53. And here the prophet Isaiah says, The Lord says it was my will that he should suffer. His death was a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. So Christ is identified as this character in Isaiah 53 called the suffering servant, the servant who's going to suffer for his people. And the Lord is saying that it's his will that he should suffer and that his death was going to be a sacrifice that would bring forgiveness for sins for all of God's people. So we see clearly here that this was all part of God's plan. His plan for his son and his plan for this world as well. But then we come to the crucial question, but what does it all mean? What does it mean when the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins? What does it mean that the Bible tells us that somehow Jesus' death shows us God's love? What, what does all of this mean? You know, for some people, the death of Jesus on the cross may seem like a great tragedy or a waste of a life. Perhaps those who maybe only see Jesus as a great teacher or a philosopher or a, a guide for, for life, but perhaps only that, then his death on the cross is a great tragedy. It has no purpose. It has no meaning to it. But that is not the message of the gospel. That is not the message of the Bible. 
that the death of Jesus has a very powerful meaning to it. And not just something that is abstract, but something which actually affects our lives here and now. And it is key to understanding what Jesus talked about as the good news of the gospel. That the true meaning behind the cross, as horrible as it was, crucifixion was one of the most painful and horrific deaths that a person could ever suffer. A person did not die quickly. They died over several hours, usually by asphyxiation, that as they were hanging on the cross, held on by nails in their wrists and in their feet. It was designed on purpose that the person would die slowly. And so in order to stop themselves drowning, they would pull themselves up if they had any strength left in order to get their next breath. And when they had no strength left, that is when the person would eventually die. It was a horrible death. But that death is full of purpose. It's not meaningless. And when we understand why Jesus died, we have a fuller appreciation why his death is good news. You maybe remember, for those that were listening last week, I was talking about why the Bible makes such a big deal of sin. Why sin such a big deal? And God just not overlook stuff. And how we're looking at how God is just. And God must deal with sin because he is holy. Because he is the most pure being that exists. And for us to have a proper relationship with him, sin gets in the way. And so God has chosen to deal with that in a specific way that fulfills justice, that fulfills righteousness, that brings us back together with God again. And he does that through the cross. Many people talk about the cross as being a bit like a diamond with different facets to it. It's one thing, but there are perhaps different ways of looking at it and different sides to it that we see brought out in the scriptures. So it's probably true and quite biblical to say that there's not just one aspect of the cross that we should necessarily focus on, but there are a number of aspects that bring us the whole truth of what the cross means. I'm quickly just going to touch on five of these things, which I think are the five key uh, things that we need to understand about the cross and why Jesus died. The first is that the cross is a rescue. The cross is a rescue, a rescue from sin. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, we're told there that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus told his own disciples. The reason why he came, the reason why he had to die. To give his life as a ransom for many. Now that word ransom comes from the language of slavery in the Roman Empire. If you wanted to free a slave, you had to pay a ransom fee. And that freed that person to then live a free life. And we see a parallel here between Jesus' life and what the people of Israel, God's people, had already been through in their history. Remember, the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses as a great prophet to lead them from slavery in Egypt to freedom. 
into and lead them towards the promised land. And so we see in Jesus, someone who is going to free God's people, not from physical slavery, but from slavery to sin, that we would then be freed to live as God had always intended us, that we would be free to live as God had created us, and to experience that friendship and fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So through the cross, the relationship that we can have with God is just as real as that friendship that Adam and Eve had with him in the garden. But as I said last week, sin weighs us down. Sin keeps us in bondage and slavery to our fallen will. You know, the human will has been affected by sin so badly that if, if we had the choice to choose God, we wouldn't. That's what Martin Luther says. He wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will, the very beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And he says that we, we need God to free us. We need God to free us from our sins and the impact that sin has upon our minds and our hearts so that we can choose God freely, so that we can have friendship and fellowship with God as free men and free women. And that is the good news, that we are rescued. Second thing is that the cross is also God's judgment. When we think of God's judgment, we think of maybe the day of judgment, and the Bible certainly talks about that. At the end of time, there will be a day of judgment when everyone will have to answer for how they have lived. We will all be judged before God's throne. But the cross is also the place of God's judgment. To explain what I mean by that, here is a verse from Isaiah 53 that I mentioned a few minutes ago, where the prophet describes what is going to happen to Christ. And although this was written seven, eight hundred years before uh, Christ, we can find aspects of this all through the New Testament as well. But it says, But he, that is Christ, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In other words, what this is saying is that because of our sins, we deserve God's punishment. We deserve God's judgment for the things that we have done. But God has given his Son as a sacrifice for sin, to take upon himself God's judgment, not for his sin, because he was innocent, but for our sin. He took our sin upon himself and bore the justice and judgment of God against sin in his own body on the cross, so that we might be found innocent before God our Father. This is the most amazing news that I don't know about you but when you think when I think about my own life when I think about the mistakes I have made about my own personal sins and that because Jesus died on the cross he declares me innocent that everything from my past has been wiped clean the slate is wiped clean 
and I get to begin again because of Jesus, because of the cross. And we're told that by his wounds we are healed. That word healed literally means to be made whole. You know, sin, sin breaks us when we realize how much we have offended God, how much we have rebelled against God. We, we can feel broken. But the cross brings healing. It brings wholeness to us. It enables us to live as God has always intended us to. And it is such a freeing thing to know that we are no longer under the judgment of God. When we face God on judgment day, assuming that we continue to live and follow Christ, God will find us innocent. Innocent of every sin. And that is good news. The cross is also described in the Bible as victory. What I mean by that is victory over the spiritual powers of this world that want to draw us away from God, that try and come between us and God. The Bible calls this power Satan, and there are other spiritual beings called evil spirits or demons. And to Jesus, these things are real. And so we should take them seriously as well. Perhaps some of you already know this, that Jesus talks about the devil and Satan more than any other person in the whole Bible. And if Jesus takes the reality of these evil spiritual beings so seriously, then we should too. That they are a reality. Some people can find themselves in bondage to evil spirits. Some of you may have experienced that or know exactly what I'm talking about. But the Bible tells us that the cross has come to set us free from all of these things. That we need have no fear over the devil or evil spirits or any spiritual powers that might come against us. With Christ has broken the power of the devil. This is the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And he says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You know, when we look at the story of Jesus' life, and especially that final week of his life, we can see Satan working in the hearts of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, Pontius Pilate. We can see Satan uh, working in the heart of Judas Iscariot. We're even told in the Gospels that Satan had taken Judas captive, he's captivated his mind. And led him down this path to have Jesus handed over. So we see the devil very clearly at work in the background to this story. Of course, the bigger picture is that God, this is all still part of God's ultimate purpose. And when Satan thought he had won, perhaps seeing Jesus on the cross perhaps laughing, we don't really know. 
We wonder how Satan reacted to that scene, perhaps thinking that he had won. I mentioned last week the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. And in that story, when C.S. Lewis wrote the story, it was seen as a, almost as a picture of what happened to Jesus and his kingdom coming into the world and how he had victory over the powers of darkness. And Aslan is seen as the Christ figure in the story. I don't know if you can perhaps remember if you've seen the film or you've read the book, that at the moment when Aslan is sacrificed on the stone table, the stone altar, in the middle of Narnia, that the, the witch plunges the dagger through Aslan's heart and as far as everyone is concerned, he's died. His, all life has gone from his body and he's left bound up on the stone table. And the witch and all her minions start cackling, they start laughing, they go away and they have a great celebration. While that is happening, some mice come and they start nibbling away at the ropes. And later on the next day, Aslan comes back to life again. The stone altar is broken. And we're told in that story that the witch didn't understand that there was a much deeper magic that would bring Aslan back to life and be victorious over her and the spell that she had over Narnia. In this, a similar way, Jesus' death on the cross has victory over Satan and all the principalities and powers of darkness in this world. In fact, we're told that they have been humiliated by the cross. That the cross was not a symbol of failure. The cross is a symbol of victory for God. And if you have been suffering from spiritual attack, from things that perhaps you're even scared to talk to people about because they maybe they're scared they won't take you seriously. God has victory over those things through the power of the cross because Jesus died for you. And you can be set free from those things through Jesus. Then fourthly, the cross is a sacrifice. In Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, it tells us there, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The sacrifice in the Old Testament was a very elaborate thing in the worship of Israel. There were lots of different sacrifices that God's people had to bring to the temple in Jerusalem each year. But one day in the year called the Day of Atonement was a, a special day when the chief priest would slaughter an animal and then sprinkle the blood of this animal over the people gathered in the temple. And the blood was a symbol of the cleansing from sin. The sacrifice had been made. And in the very sacrifices of Israel, bulls were sacrificed and so also were lambs at Passover which was the time of year that Jesus was actually crucified on the cross. So at Passover, as Jesus was dying on the cross, not too far away in the temple in Jerusalem, lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover festival. 
is a reminder of God's rescue of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And so at the cross, we see Jesus offering himself up for us. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming towards him, before he he went to baptize him, shouted out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is our Passover Lamb. He is the sacrificial offering for us that takes away sin. You know, sometimes, or perhaps sometimes isn't the right word, perhaps always, sin leaves a stain upon us. Sin leaves a stain in our heart and in our lives. And there are certain types of sin that may be public in some way, that can't be put back in the box. There are certain types of sin that could perhaps bring us some kind of shame that we could carry with us our whole life. And that, that, is, that is very difficult. But in the sacrificial system of Israel, the, the offerings that were given to God were a sign of cleansing. And we're told that the blood of Jesus on the cross cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And that means that we have no shame to bear. No matter what you have done, whether it's in secret or private or something public that other people know about. It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And as far as God is concerned, when he looks at us, the Bible tells us, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus. This is some of the best news we could ever hear. This is why it's called good news. When we come to God humbly, and if you can imagine all of our sins, if they were displayed on a a shirt or a t-shirt, how how dirty would that be? How, How would we feel with everything in our heart exposed before God? Both the things that we have done or said in secret, and those things that are public. And it's all there for God to see. And God tells us it is all gone. When God looks at us, he doesn't see all the rubbish. He sees the spotless, clean, perfect, holy Son of God, Jesus, and his righteousness. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are clothed with the righteousness of God. Almost as if we have put a a pure, white, spotless garment over everything underneath. It's no longer visible. It is all gone. It's taken away. And then lastly, the cross is love. The cross of Jesus is the greatest example of love that any of us can ever experience. 1 John 3.16 Apostle John says, This is how we know that what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now in that he's talking about sacrifice, but that's the definition of love. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus 
in the Gospels himself said, no greater love has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And that is what Jesus has done for us also. And the cross is pure love. Perhaps someone watching today is struggling to love themselves. Perhaps struggling to believe that anyone could love them or that even God could love them. I can tell you with confidence today that God does love you. And the proof of that is that his son died on the cross for you and for me and for all who will believe in him. This is good news. I'm going to finish with this verse, which is from John chapter 3.16. Some of you who are very astute may realize that this is the gospel of John chapter 3.16. The last verse we looked at was 1 John 3.16. These are probably two of the most important verses you could remember in the whole Bible. One in the letter of John, the second one, the gospel of John. Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're left with a question And that is, okay, we understand why Jesus died on the cross. But so what? How how do I respond to that? What am I supposed to do? You know, someone once said, so many religions perhaps tell us that there are things that we need to do. Do this or do that. But Jesus tells us that everything is done. God has done everything that we cannot do. We can't take away our own sins. There's nothing that we can do about that. We have to rely completely on God. There's only, there's one thing that God asks us to do. Is that is to believe in his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life and in that believing and trusting in Jesus and his words we will turn away from sin if we if we're not turning around and turning away from our sin and turning to God then we have not believed and trusted in the words of Jesus but we are called to believe in him to trust in him to acknowledge that he is God in the flesh that he is God's son who died on the cross for us. This is why Jesus came. The cross was not a mistake. The cross was not a failure. The cross was a great victory for God. And it is good news for you and for me. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus and the message of the cross. Lord, speak to us this day about all that Jesus has achieved for us on the cross even as we turn off our televisions and phones or put our telephone down after this service that you would continue to bring these words to our minds and to our hearts to be reminded of all that Jesus has done for us on the cross and that all of us would experience his love and the reality of his love today Fill our hearts and our minds 
and give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to the end of our online service again uh, today. I want to thank you all for uh, listening in, for watching, and for those listening by telephone as well. I'm just going to ask God's blessing upon us now and let you go your way. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all now and always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So take care, everyone, and hopefully see you all soon. Bye now.